Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Welcome back into Mailbox Money. I am Ryan Kruger and I'm with Jackson Wood. And I'm excited and a little bit scared for certain listeners about this episode, brother. I, I this is the first time I've ever told you ahead of time. Make sure you get me back on the rails. I, I'm I'm Mr. Organized, Mr. Math, Mr. Equity, Dividend, Safe, Sacred, Speculative Sleeve, 30 years of portfolio management simplify. We're, we're going to talk about something much better than all of that today. And I just got set off a little bit. I've been wanting to share this. We're keeping our promise of sharing open playbook. So this was my supper table talk last night, um, a little rushed, which is what made me think of wanting to share this. And then when I saw a New York Times opinion on the other side, of what you and I are about to talk about. I, I knew we were on to something and I knew we had to share it with a few loyal listeners and like-minded souls out there. And we're gonna smuggle some good news today in the middle of these year-end forecasts and economic fears and interest rates and inflation. Um, having now watched two and a few, three generations of families that we've been fortunate to work for, a true privilege and I'll take that honor responsibility lightly for a day watching them with the same investment ingredients that we that we use same ones in our accounts watching them have very different versions of freedom days and different levels of success personally and what they've been spending and investing their time with has taught me a lot i'm a good note taker i've watched i've listened i've learned and the old proverb to know the road ahead ask those coming back you and I were just talking about last week, and we always said, let's just share some of these conversations in case it helps anybody else and to include anybody else. We benefit from your questions and comments too about what success looks like. What is success to you, Jackson Wood? And, and for me last night, I was reminded as I was white knuckle on the steering wheel in Houston, Texas traffic screaming across town right in the middle of what most folks, I guess, would complain about the worst of, traffic and anxiety and pressure and stress, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I was right in the middle of how I personally would define success, which is no matter what, no matter what the day, the calendar, the ec economy looks like, I ain't missing my son's basketball. That's the simplest version for me. That's one of the deal breakers, and last night was his first night. So I'm going to be there and we're going to be there early. And no matter what else has to happen, no matter how long I have to wait, no matter what the account, that's my version of success, real time right now. I don't want to slow down. Um, I don't want to slow down work or play. I think, and this is a controversial statement, I'll lob over to you. I think this notion and anxiety of work-life balance and having more days off to do nothing or retiring early to do nothing or not even really working at work because we now deserve more paid time off. PTO as a small business owner, give me the heebie-jeebies. I didn't know what that was when I when I <laughs> opened this small business in 2006. PTO, I, I, it was a foreign concept to me. I mean, flexible schedule for me starting this business was do you want to also work Saturday or Sunday? 
<laughs> which of the six days do you... Yeah. So today, with your permission, we're going to share with you a very uncrowded idea. And I talked to my older son about this last night as he's thinking about work. Perhaps the most uncrowded trade on the board as a portfolio manager. And I think your best ROI is from your craft, not from your investments. And the math backs me up on that. The best advice I could ever give a young worker, the same one I take as an old worker, is maybe consider the upside from a different PTO. I'm going to give you the permission to obsess about your work and your love. All in over the top. So I've got a I've got a quick story that I think is gonna clue people into how I define success. So you have an iPhone and on Sundays, at least this is how my phone works, it gives you a screen report or a report for where you spent your time on your phone. And it happens every Sunday and I get mad at myself because it shows your average hours spent on your phone every every time. But I started tracking it. And there are two apps that I spend the majority of my time on. It breaks down by how much time you spent on each app. The first one is the Stocks app. So I'm always spending the most time on the Stocks app. And the second one is on the Outlook app, which is my work email. And so the way I define success and the way that I have went to school and the way I thought about this was I want to work, but I want to love my work. And it just happened to be that I was fortunate enough to sign up for a degree that would push me into a career path that I, that I love. Um, but I think looking at it through that lens of if you find something that you love and that you're good at, it never feels like work. I never, my alarm goes off in the morning. I don't feel dread that I have to come into the office. I love the entire idea. I drop my kid off at school and I rush here because I'm excited for the day and looking at, at the screens. And I think I just think it's important to have that mindset. And I always, I always said to clients, it, when you're retiring, getting ready to quit your job and, and you know, live through your freedom day, you have to have something to retire to. You want to be going and doing something or having a hobby. But then I realized like, that advice is applicable from day one of your career. You want to have something that you enjoy and that you do, and you're not trying to just use your job as a way to not do anything else in the future. And there's a whole movement about anti-work and all these different things. And, and maybe where the oddballs out, take a different approach here. But I love work. I love what I do. And my, my, my screen reminder thing on Sunday mornings will, will, will prove it. I'll post a screenshot the next Sunday so we can see it on Twitter. But it's, so the, uh, so yeah. the New York Times headline, since you're dragging me there right off the bat, and I quote, how to fight back against the inhumanity of modern work. <laughs> As I'm sitting there with my senior graduating, talking about college and work, we've got to put on a suit of armor and use those supper table talks as moms and dads, because they're not being taught what you and I are about to chop up over the next half hour in school, I promise. And the biggest complaint, by the way, in the article was the digital tools you just mentioned you know, all these great technology enhancements and their and their opinion that the 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 most inhumane treatment that workers were now receiving was the digital tool used to measure productivity. Which I thought <laughs> as a business owner 
was what you were looking to hire people to do. Where? Um, so let's let's talk about the surprising dividend from a recession or worse, since everybody's fascinated with this economic cycle and forecasting next year and the years to come. And in, in particular, the fears of inflation and interest rates. And I'm going to take my calculator and my mathlete hat off here for a second. And I'm going to actually suggest let's get our heads and hearts around interest rates and inflation. If, if that's not a big goal on a podcast, I don't know, but we're going to do it because I can't, I, it's unmistakable, the opportunities and the upside of solving problems. And we're just not very good until in, in this world anymore, in this country, especially doomed by our own success, unless we get scared, unless we get crisis to act or change. And newsflash, here's a little cheat code, and it'll save you all the time of reading economic forecasts, by the way. I don't know a single rich economist. I don't know a single economist with a consistent track record of predicting the next economic cycle. I'll save you all that time. Cycles tend to cycle. It's no accident. All of the discussion and the anxiety around it, predicting it, and then trying to figure it on the other side, all of it is, is noise and it's distractions. I say that as a portfolio manager, I assure you, I've never predicted one in 30 years. And we've done more than fine managing money. I'm not just talking as a dad here. I'm going to get there real quick. But the head of a portfolio manager, the heart of a dad, I will say all that confusion and noise, That's that can it's not an accident. Guys, I, I escaped Wall Street to tell you this truth. That is big business. Wall Street wants us to be confused as investors. It justifies their compensation. I would suggest all your time and energy is better invested at your craft. And if it's not lighting you on fire like Jackson just described, then that time and energy and training may be better served on a different craft or exploring, giving yourself the peace and the time to go invest in that because I promise you that will be a greater return on your investment than sitting and wondering what the market will do for you. Um, but the cycles tending to cycle and our inability to change any of that, um, let's just remember a couple short years ago, the entire world was consumed by artificially low interest rates and how unhealthy those were. And we all knew it and we felt it. And it got so crazy and chaotic that we actually had negative interest rates. And we knew that wasn't sustainable. Um, we literally, if you go back and look at what we, people were wishing for and, and why the market was scared, they were hoping that interest rates would move higher. And now, of course, it's too high, too fast. So I would just say, to get our heads and hearts around interest rates and inflation. If that sounded goofy, here's what I meant by that. Um, inflation is a better problem to have than negative interest rates, number one. But I would just get real comfortable and, dare I say, excited. And if it's a return to real reality for folks, um, I think it's a good thing. Money is not supposed to be free. That's not an economic comment. That's as a leader of a business and a household, it's supposed to be hard. I think this is a good thing. When I was a first time home buyer, just like my kids will be someday, if the mortgage rates are higher and you have to wait longer and work harder, that's not a bad thing. That's a really, really good thing. And dare I say, you may appreciate it more and take care of everything in it more, including yourself to appreciate it longer. I cannot help 
but say and share as mortgage rates are right back to where when I bought my first house, it is not a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. Yeah, that, I think so too. And one of the other benefits of increased interest rates, not to get too financial or economic here, but now the money that we have in the bank can start earning some money and we can see these long proven methods to securing financial independence and financial freedom really actually work. I think one of the things we're seeing now clearly with you know hindsight is that these artificially low interest rates uh, create goofy actions and goofy behaviors um, because the normal common sense approach, keep money in the bank, don't buy too much house, don't buy too much car, watch your credit card balance, that all goes out the window when money is free and money is cheap. And so th this return to real reality is absolutely an advantage. And this is a better position to be starting from than in the midst of kind of the frenzy. I've got one quick note. You mentioned negative yielding interest rates. I thought I was going to lose my very first job on a trading desk because like the third call I took on the fixed income bond desk was a guy from Europe trying to put a short on a negative yielding bond. And I had never even like understood what that could even mean. And I was literally looking at a textbook on the phone with this guy trying to figure out how we could build this into his portfolio. And I had, ex I had to escalate the call to the supervisor. And I said, I got a, I got a funny one for you, Jeff. Can you take this one? And please let me wash my hands of it. And it just made no sense for even sophisticated, not that I was the sophisticated trader, but this guy trying to figure out how to make money in these goofy dislocated markets. Uh, all right. One of the things that I, I think we should jump into next is kind of this just in time or, uh, immediate instant gratification part of the economy or part of mindset that happens uh, when money isn't cheap and when we do not live in real reality. I know you've got a couple good examples for this one. Well, I, I, I think that the pandemic didn't cause this problem in supply chain disruption. It revealed our problem and our this addiction to just in time everything that also wasn't real this virtual reality of everything. And I don't want to get any, I mean, there's a super mom at home that should get stuff delivered to her. I do not want to get in trouble with what I'm about to say. So her <laughs> door dashes are allowed. Carly Wood, go put them on Jackson's card. But I'm in this weird, real reality world that I still love going to the grocery store. I've never had my food delivered. I was a waiter 35 years ago. I get it. I just, I don't know why I don't mind the slow food movement. I think it's healthier. I think waiting for stuff, you appreciate it more. Um, but I'm going to smuggle some good news here. I, I really do think real reality is better. Um, trust in time. Let's just think about and slow, slow that down just a little bit. Um, not everything getting delivered immediately and these disruptions, yeah, they're going to cause temporary gigantic spikes in inflation. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a really, really good thing. And all of the fake businesses and people that were consuming too much, as painful as it is, they get wiped out. Their personal balance sheets, if they were over buying or over leveraged, or the businesses that were never earning anything but promising and hoping to build customer lists from delivering stuff, it costs stuff to move things around. <laughs> and it might cost more. And if that reminded us and revealed those problems, 
That is what recessions and crisis do to snap us back into real reality. And as a business owner or asset owner, inflation is not a bad thing. And waiting for things and maybe appreciating them a little more as kids or dads, I think is a very, very good thing. So I get a dose of this reality last night, and it makes me feel like I'm kind of failing occasionally when we take advantage of these uh, nifty apps. So we're at the do at the dojo, the jiu-jitsu gym last night, my son and I, and we're running late, obviously, like always. And then we have to go deliver presents for this fundraiser that my kids had. So by the time we got home, it, we've got a screaming baby. We've got two hungry little kids ready to eat, and they've got to go to bed in 30 minutes. And so I'm thinking, like, what are we going to do for dinner? And my wife says, hey, let's just door dash some Cafe Rio, which is like this healthier, you know, Mexican joint. And after that, the kids go to bed. I, I sit there and I think, I remember when I was a kid, like maybe one time per year, we would be able to get Chinese food delivered. And I remember the guy, David's Kitchen, place in Salt Lake City, would deliver the food. And I thought that we were living large. I thought that this was the most incredible thing ever. They'll bring your food to you. And it's in these, car these white cartons. And they give you a handful of, of fortune cookies. And just the reality that my kids live in, where you can DoorDash. One thing I did note is that the high schoolers' DoorDash bill is probably worth the equivalent of like four or five days of their wage. And so like, there's just kind of this dislocation of, yeah, I remember, you know, if we had to rush to, for dinner, we were making scrambled eggs, but now my kids get hand delivered food. And uh, anyways, I just, I, I like kind of this um, positioning between the instant gratification and, and time and not having it afraid to take time. I'm reminded of, countless stories of crypto where all of a sudden there are all these different millionaires and they move into this city and they drive Lamborghinis. And now that that's come crashing down, like the dose of reality of like, okay, it's okay to get rich slowly. We don't have to gamble our fortune on some crazy token or some angel investment. It's okay to do this the good old fashioned way. And in fact, it works and it's, going to give you a better mindset and mental space as we kind of navigate through the real world. We're not supposed to get rich quick. We're supposed to get rich slow. We're not supposed to automatically be the CEO. We're supposed to put in weekends and overtime and work our way up to owning you know, a business and being successful. And that's part of like this journey of life that I think we just, I don't want anybody to miss out on that because there's this immense amount of satisfaction and uh, gratitude that comes from living life slow. And I don't want to miss I, it. You reminded me of, I like sitting with, if I can, I love those little bitty restaurants hole in the walls where you're sitting right there at the counter and the cook's right there behind you and it's all messy and wonderful chaos and, and th there's no harder work and harder job than the lifestyle some of those guys have. And I was sitting there one late night with a chef talking about how he's dealt with, you know, the struggle during this for, for restaurants in particular, inflation and slowdowns and pandemics. And he kind of giggled at me and he pointed out and he had a, a delivery van. Um, and he goes, Ryan, you wouldn't believe the kids in this neighborhood because you were talking about, you know, as a teenager and delivery. And I, I just remember back at, at that age for me, I, I brought my lunch in a brown paper sack 
to school that my dad made for me every single morning because he wanted to be part of my day. Um, and he said, you wouldn't believe the delivery revenue we have for high school kids. <laughs> and I know what's on the menu. I mean, we're talking lobster rolls. We're talking steak sandwich. Like, what's real reality going to look like to these kids if that's what they start with? Like, I guess I learned to appreciate that PB&J so much. I still enjoy one to this day. This morning right. I have one. Um, <laughs> but th this, we're talking about and very uncrowded idea. It's not for everybody. I, I'm almost afraid to say it out loud, but I'm not going to be because we're an open book. But I think this work-life balance that has grabbed, grabbed these young people and their mindset, and they start off wondering what my paid time off is going to be. And so I can maintain this. And, and the weird part, and I, I think all these blogs and podcasts and amateur and professional psychologists that are all giving everybody overwhelming advice they can't even keep up with. I was like, actually, seeking this work life and balance and reading and listening to all this stuff is causing more anxiety for nobody's able to really achieve that. So here's another uncrowded thought permission to obsess about what you're doing and not constantly be trying to achieve some sort of loving what you're working on and then loving who you get to go home to at night with all, all of your effort and no slow time. It works for me anyways, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So when Andy Kessler, one of my favorite writers, wrote about sitting with a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, just to give everybody who's not as triggered by this as I am, just to give you an impression of what it's like now out there now hiring as a business and what they're dealing with to make everybody happy with the request for paid time off and much, much more. Um, he said, and I quote, the CEO of a Fortune 500 business who spent all afternoon with his HR department about increasing paid time off and benefits. And I quote, let me get this straight. Now, if someone's goldfish dies, they get a week off from work. And that's no joke. They were talking about pet bereavement. Condolences to the goldfish, but uh, that's a little out of touch with, <laughs> with reality. So, so as I sat there with my kid after racing to basketball practice and launching the 15th season that I'm lucky to give to these kids. The only thing I'm thankfully I, I'm not that, that's the other thing. It's a little unfair for me to say this work life balance is overrated because I don't I'm not really good at anything other than managing money and coaching a little hoops and taking care of my family that I, I'm not diversified. So it works for me as I was thinking, as I was talking to his older brother, who's getting college applications out and getting acceptances back in and talking about his future and his sister's about to graduate. Um, I, I, I just share with him and I want to share with anybody in case it helps at any age that the best investment advice might just be, and the most uncrowded trade on the board might just be, show up at the office, and maybe it's even a job that doesn't exist that you're applying for. We had one of those that I met with this week, and I'm more excited to talk to him about a job that I wasn't even offering or posting. Like, be, be that creative and that interested and obsessed about a craft that you're willing to start 
for nothing like I did in the mailroom. I, I applied for a job that did not exist on Wall Street when I started. I, I told him, I said, what if you're the one guy in their round of interviews that doesn't ask about benefits or pay time off? What if you're the one guy or gal that doesn't work an unhealthy amount, but that works as much as you want to if you found something you truly love and just relentlessly with a great deal of enthusiasm outwork everybody around you and become indispensable, the salary and the benefits are going to find you. And the benefits longer term for your investment portfolio, that ROI from your craft, I promise, will exceed predicting anything in the market. Now, selfishly, I will end on this note. As a dividend growth, die-in-the-wool, hardcore mathlete for my living, for my craft, this return to real reality and real businesses and real cash flow and gone are the shiny object economy and virtual reality serves us extraordinarily well, too. So if, if it seems like I'm excited as a dad about this uncrowded trade, I'm equally excited when we turn this interview off and talk off, we're going to be back. To, and some of these businesses are gushing free cash flow and opportunities from now the world returning to reality. It's like, oh, I guess we do need to find businesses that aren't delivering stuff for nothing and are thriving in a real reality. And inflation or interest rates not only aren't going to bother them, in some ways may benefit them. I absolutely love it. If anybody has any questions or would like to reach out to our team, schedule a call with Ryan and I, you can email us, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. Our website is just freedomdaysolutions.com. And once again, if you have enjoyed this show, we would be very grateful if you would like it or rate it and then share it with a friend. And with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.